The Hard Shoulder with Kieran Cuddy with Nissan on News Talk. Right now, though, I want to talk about IVF. So, Stephen Donnelly, the Minister for Health, is going to be with me in about 40 minutes' time uh, to talk about this announcement from government, government support uh, for people undergoing uh, uh, rounds of IVF uh, to mark World IVF Day. That is why they've announced it uh, today. But with me in studio now is Dr. John Kennedy, Medical Director of Therapy Fertility, and Stephanie McNamara, who is uh, herself um, a recipient of IVF. You're both very welcome to the show. Thanks a million for coming in. Um, Stephanie, I might start with, with you, if that's all right. And, and if you don't mind, maybe talking us through a little bit your own story. Okay, so I was told that I was infertile from a very young age because I have a condition called endometriosis and it would have affected me quite badly as a teenager and right up in my early 20s. Um, I knew that I was always going to need help um, when my husband and I started trying for a baby nothing was happening. We went to the GP, we started the process of IVF, we started um, getting our blood tests done and things like that and we got pregnant naturally which was a big surprise to everybody, doctors included. Yeah. Um, we So we have a three and a half year old called Mia. She's, um, she's getting fine and big now. She was about nine and months old. And a handful old. I'd say. Oh yes. Ah, she's great. She was about nine months old when we Stephanie, decided. You can tell to the sh- truth here now. <laughs> safe space. (laughs) She was about nine or ten months old. We decided we'd try again and I got pregnant almost immediately and had an ectopic pregnancy and I went Mm. on to have three more ectopic pregnancies. So I had four in total. I was never formally diagnosed with secondary infertility, um, which is mainly because our health service, as you know, was just so under pressure that I would have been years and years waiting for the scans and the things that were needed for that diagnosis to happen. But I was told that I absolutely would need to do IVF in order to have a live birth. Um, so after our four losses, I contacted a number of fertility clinics. Um, we went with therapy in the end and we did uh, a full cycle of IVF with therapy. We had a frozen embryo transfer Um, Now, we did a full cycle. I got eight eggs. I was lucky enough to have two embryos from those eggs, which was which was which was great going. You Mm. know, we were really happy with that. Um, And I have a little girl now, Millie, who's 11 months old from that cycle. Um, So we were one of the very, very lucky ones. But according to the announcement today, we wouldn't have qualified for that help because we already have a child. Yes. So I want to talk to you about some of those limitations and John, Mm. you too, about the the limitations. But uh, after Mia was born, despite kind of your knowledge of of the difficulties you had, was there maybe on some level an expectation, uh, listen, it's worked once, it'll work again? Oh, 100%. Oh, 100%. We were looking at this gorgeous little baby that we had, thinking that everything had changed and everything was going to be amazing and then getting pregnant and you know, I, I, I hyperemphasize. I was very, very sick from week five. Yes. It was all very exciting because, you know, the proof was there. We were definitely pregnant. Um, and I was about seven and a half, eight weeks along when I was rushed into hospital. I had quite a, quite a large ectopic pregnancy um, at that point and I needed medical treatment for it. So I was in hospital and in and out of hospital for about three months in total with that. And it was, it was quite traumatic, the, the first one for sure. Mm. Um and we went, we, we kept trying because we were told at that point, you know, you can keep trying. It must, it something must be working because yes. you have a, you there, have a there, daughter. There is fairly there obvious is the evidence. Proof. There yes. is the proof. So we did. And within 11 months, I had four ectopic pregnancies, um, which are quite risky. 
I suppose anyone who knows anything about ectopic pregnancies, there's a huge risk there to the, the life of the mother as well. So we were we were watched very carefully um, and we were we were kind of lucky by the skin of our teeth a few mm. times. I was quite ill with them um, and it just got to the point where I we had to make a decision on what we were going to do and take advice. And we were in a privileged enough position that we were able to afford the private healthcare and the consultant we needed to go to to tell us, yes, you're going to need IVF and things. But there are a lot of people who aren't in that position, who aren't, who maybe don't have private health insurance, who aren't going to get those refunds, who aren't in a position to mm. to seek out private healthcare and get a result or a recommendation as quickly as we were able to. If I was in the public system and in a position where I couldn't afford that, I could still be waiting even just for that diagnosis. So John Kennedy, I mentioned from Therapy Fertility, is with us uh, as well. Uh, John, uh, before we talk about today's announcement, um, what are the statistics around it? So, so, you know, Stephanie talked about her her own experience there and how lucky she felt um, you know, that it was successful. How how typical is that story? So it's... it's Really variable. You okay. you talk about spontaneous conception rates being about 17% per month for any given couple under ordinary circumstances. But when you're talking about the success rates for something like IVF, it very much is individualized. It's based on the generally the woman's age, their history, history of miscarriages, history of previous cycles, and critically, their ovarian reserve. You start off your life with your complement of eggs. As you get older, you use them up. How many eggs do you have? How many eggs are we going to get in an IVF cycle? How many embryos are we going to be able to make? And then what's the likelihood of those embryos giving a a live birth? So when you do an IVF cycle, you take eggs and you make Mm. embryos. You then put maybe one of those back and freeze the others. So if the first round doesn't work, if Stephanie's first transfer hadn't worked, we would then be proceeding to do a transfer of the other embryo that we have frozen. We haven't needed to do that, so that's still there. So you have to think in terms of live birth, in terms of the cumulative live birth, right? If yeah. the first one doesn't work, you move on until you've no embryos left or your family is complete. Now, if you're really young and you've got a strong ovarian reserve, then maybe your cumulative live birth rate could be 60, 70, 80%. It could be ridiculously high. Yeah. If you're older, it's going to be much, much lower. So generally speaking, if you're 35 years old, maybe a live birth rate of 30 to 40%. If you're 40 years old, it's probably 20%, 25%-ish. So, um, and, and Stephanie touched on some of the, the you know, shortcomings or, or limitations of today's announcement. Uh, but broadly speaking, is it to be welcomed? Oh God, absolutely. Yeah. And I think <laughs> you have to be very careful because we've been begging for this for yeah. years and now it's come and now all we're going to do is, is is crap all over and say, ah, oh, it should do this, this and this. And I think this is an overwhelmingly positive thing. Mm. It's a, It marks a fundamental shift in how this country treats the infertile and subfertile population, and it is absolutely to be welcomed. So that's the compliment sandwich. Now, you know, yeah. where is it short? And there are shortcomings in it. And it is, I think you'll have the minister on. I think you will hear a lot of, this is the first step. This is going to change. They've talked about 10 million year one, 30 million year two, and so on and so forth. And and you really just hope that uh, that comes to fruition and it expands. So can you explain to me then from a, a medical point of view why some of these limitations uh, uh, might exist? So that there's, a, there's a 40 year age limit? Yes, I think it's 41. 41. It's 41 years old. And, and there's the, a BMI limit And there's a BMI well. limit. So 
you there when you take the three factors that influence success and failure in fertility, age is the first and biggest one. Ovarian reserve is the second, the number of eggs you have relative to your age. And the third then is BMI. Uh, and we know that as your BMI goes up, not only does your success rate drop, probably not as much as people say. I think it tends to be overstated. Mm. But we also know that the risks go up, the risks of pregnancy and things like that. Now, this is an actuarial argument. There is a limited amount of money. There is a cost per cycle. And then there is a number of cycles you can deliver. And how do you square that circle? And that's, that's where the entry criteria come in. The BMI restriction of 18.5 to 30, I believe it is. Uh, 30 would be not common in all jurisdictions where publicly funded fertility mm. exists, but it would certainly exist. But a lot of centres have pushed that up to 32 or 34 or 30, even 35 in some places. Um, available only to couples and uh, to people without any children. Uh, they are social conditions rather than medical conditions, aren't they? I would agree. I would agree. And I think I think uh, Stephanie's story is a great example of this. Secondary subfertility is a real thing. Just because you've had one child doesn't mean you're not deserving of having another one. But again, this is about the resources. Um, Stephanie, I, I do want to come back to you in just a moment. But but John, a, a final question on those limitations, because uh, the, the other one is about having a, a, a diagnosed... Or, or, I, I'm not sure what that is. Um, certainly, I've read a couple of different articles. And okay. I, think, I suspect, and I don't know, uh, I suspect that if you have a diagnosis something like endometriosis, you will be eligible. Okay. Equally, I think if it's unexplained, you will be eligible. Okay. So we, we will get clarity then on that on that point uh, from the minister uh, when he's with me in about half an hour's time. So, uh, Stephanie, what what is your reaction then to this announcement today? I think initially... <sighs> Obviously, you're reading all of these different articles. You haven't got clarification yet. And it's very easy to get. Yes, it's a, it's a hugely positive thing. It is a hugely positive thing. And I'm, I'm looking at it and thinking about other people's socioeconomic backgrounds who, the people who really, really need this funding. Um, they absolutely deserve it, but it has to be equitable. You know, it has to be the same for everybody. Not everybody will have had the resources over their lifetime to be able to get the diagnosis they need. So there needs to be clarification on whether it is going to be that you have diagnosed condition. I mean, in my view and in the view of the World Health Organization, infertility is a disease. It is a diagnosis in and of itself. Mm. So that should qualify you. Your inability to get pregnant is a condition. And if the World Health Organization says that, why shouldn't we be able to say you don't need to have spent I mean, I spent 12 years of my life in and out of hospitals getting a diagnosis for endometriosis and I'm very severely ill with it. You know, uh, it affects aspects of my daily life. I, I had to have two surgeries while I was pregnant on my last child mm. just to enable me to be able to walk and toilet properly. So it is it is a huge condition um, and it's quite common, one in 10 people. And there's lots of other conditions that cause this kind of infertility as well. You shouldn't need to have spent your life getting somebody especially in a country like ours with an underfunded health system where the, the people that are doing these diagnoses for you are registrars and SHOs who aren't, you know, they're they're overworked and they're underpaid and they don't have the resources there to enable them to give the correct diagnosis to every person. You shouldn't need that diagnosis. And what about the, uh, as I call them, the social conditions I, that are attached to I it? I would feel, I, I mean... Disgusting is a strong word, but I'm, I find it disgraceful that there are social conditions put on something like this. Um, it shouldn't matter that I am married to my husband and I have one child with him. I, sh- I shouldn't, it shouldn't need to be qualified like that, that if I had a child from a previous relationship, but not one from this relationship, I would qualify. 
That's what I was reading today. Uh, the fact that I have one child already shouldn't preclude me from having another. And it certainly shouldn't preclude anyone in my situation who's gone through the trauma of having four pregnancy losses and all of those things happen. And I mean, it would, there's no other health condition in the world where we would look at somebody and say, OK, say you have, for example, Crohn's disease. I'm not giving you this infusion of medication today because your bowels worked perfectly last year. That wouldn't happen. So why are we saying you're infertile now, but you weren't a year ago, so you don't qualify for this treatment? Mm. It doesn't make sense. And because infertility is a condition, it shouldn't in and of itself, it shouldn't be there. That shouldn't matter. It shouldn't matter if you have one other child or three other children. Like we're not we're not living in a, in a developing country where, you know, this is not China in the 90s. There shouldn't be a limit on how many children we should be able to have. Just because I have one gorgeous living child at home doesn't mean that I shouldn't be allowed. And I'm talking from a personal perspective because that's the perspective I have. I find the other conditions around needing donor eggs or sperm, things that are precluding same-sex couples, I, I, I find that disgraceful as well. We, you know, there has to be equity in everything that we do, in particular with our health service. If we are giving people access to the services they need, it needs to be equitable. We need, we need to be giving them the same access. So if you need a little bit of extra support to get that service, you should be given it. That's right. my view. Well, listen, views we will put uh, to Stephen Donnelly when he's here uh, in a few minutes time, shortly after five o'clock, we will ask him for clarity on uh, those medical limitations, uh, uh, conditions attached and those social conditions as well. Uh, Stephanie, thanks a million for coming in studio. Stephanie McNamara and uh, John, you too, uh, Dr. John Kennedy, Medical Director at Therapy Fertility. A lot still to come. I do mention Stephen Donnelly. He is up after five o'clock. The Hard Shoulder with Kieran Cuddy with Nissan. Weekdays from four on News Talk.